0: You know, it's hard to overstate how important attitude is because attitude really being the same thing as a, as a mindset, um, it, 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 it matters big time. And here's one reason why. Because attitude translates into or impacts or overflows into our actions. Like the way you think, it overflows into how you how you live, right? My my, my, uh, my mom was super, is super positive and optimistic. And I've just chosen to follow that path all my life because life's a choice whether you look at things with pessimism or optimism, but it's not just optimism in that way that we're looking at. Because last week, if you were here, and if, you, if you're a guest and or first time, welcome to our series in Philippians called Improbable Joy. For anyone worshiping online, welcome to the day with us. Uh, we, we looked last week in chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. He kept saying, like, be of the same mind, be of one mind, be like-minded. It was like all this mind stuff. And we saw that when we adopt the attitude or mind of Christ that it's a, it's a mind or an attitude of humility. And humility is what really brings unity. Humility is what brings a family together, a team together, business, church, DC, it doesn't matter. It's when we bow and lower ourselves and think of others as valued and the imago Dei. They have dignity and worth because they're made in God's image. When we kind of walk that way, you're just naturally gonna have an attitude of, of, of Christ, of really optimism and thinking the best when you, when, when you can. So our attitude matters because it affects our actions. So let's roll, you ready? Chapter two, verse five, we'll just pick it right up where we left off. Have this mind, there it is, there it is again. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So therefore, God's highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord." To the glory of God the Father. And so what Paul's doing immediately is he's connecting this section to where we were last week by asking us to think like Jesus. And remembering, chapters and verses were added way later. Paul and companion pinning this la- letter. Uh, there's no stoppage. It's just go back to last week, have this mind, same mind, one mind, like-minded, and then boom, immediately, he just keeps saying, have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus. Because we're gonna see attitudes affect actions, and that's huge. So, verse six, check it out. Who, though he was in the form of God, didn't count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. So what he's done right here in verse six is he's connected two things that are very important. One is the the preexistence of Christ and the divinity of Christ. Or for preexistence, you could say eternality. And you've heard me say for years that God's not old, he's eternal. There's a huge difference. Bunch of us in the room are old because you can can put it on a graph, you can put it on a spectrum. Like here's the starting point and here's the ending point and here's where you are now. And based on average life expectancy, you, you're really old or you're kind of old, right? And it's all relative to those guys up there think I'm ancient probably, right? I don't feel that way, but see, we do that to each other. We're older, we're younger, we're medium, we're all that. It doesn't apply to him. And he's saying here this beautiful theological truth that he's always existed, that there's no, there's no space. There's no little circle on the spectrum where you go, yep, Jesus. Now in his humanity, yeah, and we'll get there in a minute. But we're talking about before he came, like before the incarnation, the enfleshing. Remember with incarnation, carn is in the middle, like carnal, like we think of that as a negative, like you're fleshly or you're carnal. But the incarnation of Christ was totally positive. Like he put on flesh. And before he got here, there was no beginning. There's no birthday that way. Get your head around infinity that way and infinity that way. Like we, we all do that because we're created and we go, yeah, I'll live forever. But where it really blows your circuits is when you look back that way and you go, God never began. He's the always has been God. He's eternal. And that is a uh, Amazing, he's the alpha and the omega. He's the A to the Z, he's the creator. He's not created. He made everything else that we see. But he also touches on it, as I said, his divinity. It's not just his eternality. He says in this first statement, being in the form of God, he's speaking about like who he is. He's not saying he just appeared like God. He is saying he appeared in the form of God. And so here's where we need to drill in a second because this really matters. Because a lot of the objections that we're gonna see from church history are still things that we see today. And they were called heresies then and they're heresies now. And this is why we need to know the truth well. So when he says, when Paul says he was in the form, he was in the morphe, the Greek word, of God, which had this notion of, listen, the visual expression of something that reflects the essence of what something is. So like, it, like uh what you see is what you get. Like you see this form, but it's not like the inside is. It's like um, this. Just I didn't show this um, first service. You know when you grab that chocolate in the box, oh, it's just appropriate. It's Valentine's week. Happy Valentine's week. I see your red. You grab that chocolate and you're like, oh, this is going to be amazing. And you're like, oh. Like, this is not caramel. This is not, I don't even know what this is. I think it's plastic, right? It's Because the outside looks amazing, the inside not so much. It's not what you thought it was. This is a good illustration of what he's saying here is that the morph, the form of God, was this reality of him here consistent with what's inside. But here's the problem. The verb morph that we think of in our language today like metamorphosis, what does it mean? It means to change shape. It means to like transform into something else. But this noun is not like our current English word. It is consistent from the outside to the inside. So when we say that there's this assumption that the appearance is consistent with the nature of the inside, we're saying a lot. Because he wasn't just a good guy or prophet or rabbi. What's happening here with his being in the form of God is that we're gonna see his divinity, his God side was veiled. It was set aside. It was limited for the moment, this tiny moment of 30 plus years that he was on the earth. Here's a different illustration. I think it'll make sense. You know Romans 12, one and two, right? Don't be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word for transform there is not morphe, it's, it's a word metamorpho, it's, it's a totally different word. And it means to change nature. So when you, like, that's why we say, when you read the word, it renews, it's like, a, it's like a bath on your brain, on your mind, your thoughts, your attitudes, your mindset, and you begin to think God's thoughts the more you're in his word. And the more we're not in his word, the more we think my thoughts and your thoughts and fleshly thoughts. And so what Paul told the Romans in chapter 12 was when you do that with your mind, there's a completely new thing going on. But what we see right here in verse six, he's in the form of God. It's not new. He is the God man. His essence is the same. He is fully God and fully man. And so church history is full of this. And this is, I just wanna blow through this because I want you to see there's nothing new under the sun. If you go back into church history, back into the ones and the twos and the threes and the 400s, there were heresies that rose up after Christ where Ebionism the, denied the divine nature of Christ. He's not divine, he's just man. Arianism denied the fullness of the deity of Christ. Docetism denied the humanity of Christ. Apollinarianism denied the full humanity of Jesus and nestorianism denied the unity of the natures in one person. And so when we get to creeds and we hear ancient creeds spoken there's a reason those creeds were were written there's a reason why they gathered and and wordsmith wordsmith and wordsmith documents because you know as baptists we're scripture first and sometimes to our detriment we we uh we overlook or push aside the creeds, but creeds are simply summations of the theology of scripture. They're like theology for dummies in a way, if you wanna take it that way, if you wanna take these massive theological moments where men labored and wrote things so that after hearing all that I just said about denying his humanity or denying his, his divinity, when you hear this then, we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, the very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made. Isn't that beautiful? They were responding to heresies of the day. And so when we hear now, when you hear at school or at work uh, uh, or or a, a fence kind of conversation at home, yeah, I mean, I'm with you, man. Jesus was a good dude. Like, he was a good guy. He, or if, you know, as, as Islam might say, if you had a Muslim friend at work or a neighborhood who would say, yeah, es- Esau, according to Quran, was, he, he was a prophet, and I'll give you that. He was a prophet. He was a prophet of Muhammad. Or, or if somebody would just say, yeah, Jesus was like, the, he was just love incarnate. Like, let's just love each other and just all get along because Jesus was love. See, any of those things, and there are a lot of others, they're true, but they don't define him. He's not just a prophet or just a communicator of love. He is preexistent, eternal, son of the living God who in the incarnation veiled his deity, set it aside for us so that he could get somewhere. And we'll see where here in just a moment. Check out what the rest of the scripture says. He was in the form of God and he did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. So let me just put it visually for you for a second. So while in the form of God, okay, while in the morphe, meaning what? What you see is what you get. Like he's God man. He said, I'm not gonna gonna grasp these things. He emptied himself and he humbled himself. The word for grasp there is one time in the Greek New Testament. And it's there's a lot of interpretations of it. And so you have to look look outside of the scripture into secular literature at the time to go, how was this used? And one of the most favorable and the one that I like is the sense of holding onto something, like grasping something that, that would speak to my advantage. Like, I'm not gonna let go of this thing because this thing helps me. Like, I have these rights and I have these, these good things, I'm not gonna let go of it. And so Christ, think pre-incarnation, before he showed up in planet Earth a couple thousand years ago with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all of the goodness of that. He said, "I'm I'm not gonna grasp, I'm not gonna hold that because I wanna obey the Father and I love them. And unless I go, the brokenness of shalom that happened in the garden is always going to be broken. I am the answer. So I'm going to go. And it would cost him deeply and greatly, as we know. So he says, My, my mind, his attitude was so sacrificial. It begs the question of us then, how could I roll any other way? How could I live any other way? Remember in Hebraic life in that first century with with Christ, the the disciples of a rabbi, the Talmud, they followed him and they wanted to be like him. They didn't want to just know what he knew. They wanted to be like him. So they, they did everything together. And in time, you began to look like, talk like, smell like your rabbi. So for us Western Christians who think it's all about just taking the next Bible study and learning to be a disciple, it's good to remind ourselves from time to time that I need to learn, I need to learn the word, but I need to have a heart of obedience and a heart of humility that says, you want me to do that? Yes, I'll do that. Meaning you and the Lord in conversation and following him in it. So verse six tells us what Jesus didn't do but verse 7 tells us what he did do. Look, Check it out. It says in verse 7 that he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. And this is where a skeptic or a critic or somebody maybe in an honest path, but maybe maybe not an honest path would say, see, this is right. This is where, you know, he, he emptied himself. He wasn't God. He was just, just a man while he was here. You know, he left that all behind because he emptied himself. Like if you could drain this cup of cold coffee onto the floor and you got a shell left, like he, he emptied himself. But that's not really understanding what the language is saying. The, the word for empty is kanud. It has the sense of setting aside. It's this veiling of what's there for our protection. You remember when they came to get Jesus in the garden and and there was that momentary like, like, because they were like, we've come to get Jesus. And he's like, here I am. What happened? Did they they all like, man, like, okay, you're coming with us, son. If you don't know the story, this is what happened. When he says, it's me, it says in the gospel that they went. And it was like, he lifted up this like glory mask and said, and then back down. And then he finished out the journey and went to the cross. But there's that little taste there. That's why Jesus said to Peter, he goes, do you not think I can summon 12 legions of angels? Put your sword away. It's all good. And not angels like we see in our art that's little soft little things you like you could swat with a fly swatter. Angels in scripture were war, they were, they were sent to uh, serve those who inherit salvation when people saw them in the scripture they would bow before them and they're like hey get up I'm no, I'm I'm just a messenger you should see that guy the one that I've come on behalf of that and so it's that type of created angelic being that Jesus says Peter look man I could I could summon 12 legion of those it's all good I like how A.W. Tozer says it very shortly. He says, he veiled his deity but he didn't void his deity. He set it aside. Here's a short story I think will really illustrate this. I love this. Read this this week. It's a story, true story of an African missionary who caught wind of and observed an African chief in a village who if you're a chief in a village in Africa, in a remote village, you are you're the man. And he had a, you know, the, the, the extravagant headdress and robes. Fellow in the village falls in the well, breaks his leg. He can't get out. Nobody has the ability to get down there. And so the story goes that the chief, watch for the language, laid aside his headdress, laid aside his robe, and he went down all these little steps and nooks to get to the bottom, put the man on his back and ascended out of the well. And he rescued him as he had set aside the headdress and the robes. At any time down in the well, did he cease to become or be the chief? No. Because everybody up top knew that's the chief and he's in charge. And so in Christ, when he laid aside his deity in the form of God with human flesh, did he cease to be any of that? Did he stop being any of that? No. That's what it means that he veiled and he set aside, he emptied himself, taking this form of the servant in the likeness of men. This is why Jesus had the confidence and the ability That John records in his gospel that he, you know, takes a basin of water and puts a towel around his waist and he and he washes the feet. The creator is washing the creature's feet. The reason he could do that was because he had taken the form of a servant and the likeness of man. And you gotta know everybody in the room's like, I'm not I'm not washing Pete's feet. They're nasty. And Jesus gave them an example, just like these this hymn. If that's what it's considered in, in the early church, this hymn, these six verses. Jesus is giving them and us this ultimate example. And so it says in verse 7 at the end that he was born in the likeness of men. But then he slows things down. And this is where it's interesting for the sake of understanding what's happening. So let's, let's just pick it up here. Like it, when he's, he's, um, he's saying that he's being found in this human form and he's gonna transition from verse seven to eight. And one commentator I read said it this way and I loved it. He said, it's kind of like, like if you're gonna tell a story and, and I'm gonna tell Justin like what, what, uh, maybe on vacation and we're like, Justin, I was, I, was, I, was on, I was on the beach and I was sitting in a chair and while I was sitting in that chair, Justin's gonna be like, mm-hmm. But, but compared to, hey, Justin, I was on the beach, I am sitting in a chair, and, and this happened. Because there's no, there's no like tension of the slowdown. Like, hey, man, I was in, on the beach in a chair, and while I was sitting in that chair, whoo, let me tell you what happened. Because what he says in the text, look at it. He says, he is born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself. And so there's like, he humbled himself, and this is how he did it. Look, emptied himself in the form of the servant, human likeness. Oh, and while in human likeness, like while I was in the chair, he humbled himself this way. Like, we can can pretend that we're walking in humility, and we might. But when your humility involves humiliation that comes from death and death on a cross, that's another layer, that's next level humility, right? And so we're following him in that path, remembering this, this little church, so let's just back up to to day one. Paul's at house arrest in Rome. He had been in Philippi years earlier, been arrested there, not house arrest, but real arrest, let go. He's now writing back to them. This is that, um, it's the first church plant in Europe, Philippi. And so he's writing them. And what was unique about Philippi was because um, of a couple of generals who defeated the other generals, they were given like Roman status, even though they were far from Rome. It's like they were like little Rome, you know, like little Rome. So we have the rights as Roman citizens. And guess who couldn't be crucified? Roman citizens, because it was the worst of the worst. And so Jesus is obedient to the point of death, but not just death, but death on a cross. Capital punishment's awful, right? I mean, the, the, the pain of death. It's whether you're injected or if it's old school or there's a firing line somewhere in this country or another country, electrocution. I mean, those are all painful. But I love how Galatians says that Christ came in the fullness of time. Because in the time and the place that Christ came, they were gonna draw blood because the crucifixion involved the nails here and the nails here and the hours and hours of just draining out that. And so in the fullness of time, Jesus came in a place where that would perfectly happen. Because why? Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And so he's saying that he's obedient to the place of death and death on a cross. And because of that, Jesus became what we would call theologically like the substitutionary atonement. Like there was a a need for forgiveness and that's my chair and yours. There's none righteous, no, not one. And that's my chair, but I can't fix it. I can't sit in it and try to be enough. You know, I've jokingly messed around through the years with the, you know, the whole Batman and Spider-Man and Ant-Man and all those things, and they're fun, and they're great movies. But Batman can't take my sin. He's a bat. And man, or ant, or spider, or fill in, all the others. But Christ, in the form of God, is the only one in the history of mankind to be fully God and fully man at the same time. Theologians call that the hypostatic union. And only Christ has accomplished that. I'll never need again, because it's been done. So Jesus sat in your chair, in my chair. We couldn't fix it, a friend couldn't fix it. Only Christ, because the sacrifice needed to be God's son. If he was only man, it would just would have been a well-intended and well-meaning friend. But when it's the God man, he gets us because he put on flesh and he never stopped being God in the whole process. So what was the result of all this? What's the end result? Like, is this just a great story? Is this a great movie? Like Christ humbled himself, had the right mindset was obedient to the point of death and like the worst death possible, here's the result. Therefore, one of the best words in the Bible. Here's your cause effect. Therefore, look at it. God has exalted him above and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God of God the Father. And so, there's. if you look at this, it's all of the gospels there. There's the the eternality of God, like the preexistence, and then you've got the incarnation, and you've got the crucifixion, and you've got the resurrection, and then you've got the ascension, and then you've got exaltation. It's all there. And what happens is, to a bunch of people who live in that little Roman outpost of Philippi, Jesus is Lord will will cost you your life. Like like here's just one, one of many examples. This is a coin with Antiochus IV on it. And that coin was like around 170 BC. So one of the Caesars. Well, who is Caesar? Caesar is Lord. And not only is is, uh, Antiochus IV saying that he's Lord, he's portraying himself on this particular coin as uh, Zeus. So Batman and Spider-Man, it's nothing new. We've always wanted a hero. We've always wanted a hero. And every hero falls short, save one. And so Antiochus the fourth will bow his knee and will speak in confession that Jesus is Lord you know, the word for confession is such a fun word in the Greek language. It's a, it's a compound word, homo legeo, same or one word. So when you confess biblically, you are saying the same thing as someone else. Like we think of confession like, where were you on the night of the 31st at 9 o'clock? Because we think you killed Susie, right? And a good mystery. And I like, go, I did it, I did it, I did it, I confess. That's not what... That's really not what's in play. But this word in verse 11 is not homo legeo. It's actually a three-part word. It's ek on the front of those. And ek is a preposition means out, in front of. Are you with me? You live in a world where they're gonna kill you if you don't say Caesar is Lord but you're gonna confess, you're gonna agree with the Father about the Lordship of Christ and you're gonna do it out and you're gonna be public about it. You're gonna demonstrate it with your life. That's the beauty of this message and this day. And you know what's really hard to think about? Somewhere in the planet Earth today, someone will give their life for Christ. They will be killed for no other reason in the persecuted church somewhere on the planet today. Some things, are they never change. And one of those things that never changes is the truth. It's the truth. So when you hear things about Christ, about who he was and who he wasn't, you now know, according to scripture, that there's an answer to all the objections That he was only God or he was only man. He couldn't have been both. And you see why now. So what is your attitude back to where we started? What is your attitude? What's your mindset? Because that mindset, that attitude, is gonna affect these. Like what you think is gonna get there and here. Like how you live all comes from here and here. And here's where it's really interesting. A lot of Philippians is about unity. It's not just the joy book. It's a lot about unity. And so, as Western people who think about me versus we, Eastern thought, Hebraic thought, was way more about we and a lot less about me. But we live in the me world. Because my attitude affects you, Chris. And yours does mine. Because my attitude affects how I live. Isn't that interesting? I'm not gonna ask you to do it right now because you'd all throw rocks at me, but if, you, if we just hold hands, right, like we did long ago, you could feel the connection. You could feel the oneness. A lot of you from other churches today to come witness baptisms. Doesn't matter where you go to church today, your family, we're one in Christ. And it's because of Jesus and Jesus alone so, Father, we bow before you today. We thank you, for the, thank you for the amazing truth that Jesus showed up. Thank you for his intentionality. Thank you for the incarnation. Thank you that you loved us enough that He, you, y'all, would do whatever it took to make things right. And so, as the first Adam blew it in the garden and brought destruction, so the second Adam, Christ, made all things right. And if you're here today uh, worshiping somewhere else or in this room and you've never taken that step, today is the day of salvation. And if your heart's beating a little faster than normal, if your mind is racing, that's most likely the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart. I invite you to pray this with me. Father, I understand today I am a sinner. I confess I confess Jesus is Lord will you forgive me of my sins and I commit to follow you the rest of my days and Father I marvel today to think that Vel Vel Pesor long time member stepped into eternity last night passed away last night she's She's confessing you as Lord. She's singing worshiping you as Lord. I marvel to think that Dr. Dixon who passed away this week stepped into your presence with his last breath here and is worshiping you. Father, thank you that our faith is not fairy tale, but it's it's tangible hope. And it's solid in the face of swirling life. One question for the rest of you who know him already. What's your attitude? What's your mindset? Because it's affecting not only you, but those around you. Is your attitude and mindset merciful? Is it gracious? Is it patient? Is it soaked in humility or not? Talk to the Father for a moment. Listen, tell him what's on your heart.